Welcome to the Desert Street Podcast, the podcast helping you develop forex trading skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Etienne Kret. Let's get started right away. So, uh, Brooks, welcome back. How's it going today? Well, thank you very much, Etienne. I appreciate you inviting me. Pleasure to have you here. This is our second interview. We did one like few years ago, I think two years ago, where you were talking about price action and your story a little bit. And it's a pleasure to have you back here again to uh, a second interview, follow-up interview. So this time I want to go more in depth. I want to ask you a question that I, that I didn't ask the first time and kind of get some more information about what you do when how people can understand who you are. So first, can you give people like a quick introduction of who you are and what you do? Well, I'm 67 years old. And I went to medical school at the University of Chicago, and I was an eye surgeon for a number of years. I taught at Emory University in Atlanta, and then I was on the faculty at UCLA, and I practiced medicine, ophthalmology, eye surgery for about 10 years in Los Angeles. And the entire time that I did it, I felt like I was doing the wrong thing. When I was in Chicago, I felt like I should be at the Board of Trade or the Merck and be a, I thought I should have been a trader. But we grew up poor. And my mother told me that, Al, I want you to become an eye surgeon. And the, our culture back then, French-Canadian immigrants, I know your name is Etienne, yeah. but my family is French-Canadian immigrants from Quebec, was that if your parents tell you to do something, there's no further thought. You go ahead and you do it. So I made sure that I was a good student, that I got into a very good medical school, I became an eye surgeon. And as I said, the entire time that I was in medical school and in my residency in Chicago, I felt like I was doing the wrong thing. I was making my mother very happy, but it was not right for me. And after practicing for about 10 years, I had enough money saved up so that I could begin to trade. And I started trading before work every day, and I started about the month before the October 87, October of 87. And on the morning of the crash, I had a very big short position on in the S&P futures. And I had a full surgery schedule. So I had to go to work. And I closed out my position. And had I not closed out my position, I would have made over $400,000 over the next several hours. And in today's dollars, that would have been over a million dollars in the morning. And that was the day that convinced me that I could make money as a trader, even though I did not make any money that day. You know, it convinced me that the potential was there. And over the next couple of years, well, few, three years later, I had a daughter. And then 15 months later, I had identical twin daughters. So I had three daughters under the age of 15 months. And I thought, wow, you know, I really want to stay home and raise the kids. And that would allow me to be a trader. And I started cutting down my surgery schedule, my work schedule, and increasing the number of days that I stayed at home. And in 1990, I think it was 1990, I became a full-time trader. And since then, that's, that's what I've been doing. Stopped medicine in 1990, and I've been a day trader ever since. And I'm wow. very happy. Yeah, it's, it's been really cool. It's been really very good. And that's a very interesting story. I think that's something that I think a lot of people face these days. They want to do the same thing. They want to jump from their job to trading. 
I'm curious to know, what was that moment where you wanted to switch from your job as a surgeon to trading? What was that like decision? Like, how did the decision happen exactly? Well, the entire time I was, at the, I was at the University of Chicago for seven years. And the entire time I was there, I felt like I really should be downtown. I felt like my heart was downtown as a floor trader. And I just couldn't do it. I grew up, you know, my family had no money. There were six of us and we had a, a two-bedroom house. And I didn't get a, I didn't take my first shower until I was in high school. So, you know, that, that, that was our life. And here I was in medical school and it was a sure, it was a guarantee that I would make a lot of money. And I, I was afraid to give it up. You know, I grew up poor. I hated being poor. I wanted to make a lot of money and I was in a position to make a lot of money. And it's just hard when you have something that's guaranteed to make you a lot of money and give it up for something that you have no guarantees. And I hear from traders fairly regularly asking this, the very question that you ask. Career transition, how do they go from one career to another career? One of my friends who's a trader is a, was a computer consultant for years, and um, he used to write me, email me all the time saying, Al, I want to switch. I want to switch. I want to, you know, uh, I... And I, I kept telling him, don't, don't be too fast. You don't make the switch until you feel like you're making more money as a trader than what you're making in your other job and that you've been doing it for at least several months and so that you're consistently doing very well. And at that point, it makes sense to make the switch. That's a good answer. I really like that. Uh, I really love that. So uh, I want to hear what has changed since we last spoke about three years ago. What has changed since we last spoke about two years ago? What are some things? Oh, what has changed? What has changed? You know, I, I don't think the market ever changes. I think that when you look at a price chart, you know, you think it's a reflection of, you know, something taking place in, in computers out in, you know, in some, some mysterious connection of uh, servers all over the world. That's not what it is. It, it's simply mapping out human behavior. and you know, if you and I were alive 5,000 years ago and you shot a deer and I had a bunch of chickens with eggs and I wanted some deer meat, I'd give you some eggs. And so if the eggs are currency and the deer meat is uh, the commodity, then we could plot it out. And if you took a whole bunch of people making that kind of butter, the price charts would look very similar to price charts today for any stock, for any commodity for futures market, which is what I do most of my trading on. It's just a reflection of natural human behavior, rational human behavior. And that's not going to change. It's genetic. It's built in our genes. And if you start to get thousands of people together behaving rationally, or at least the, the people with big money will, be, will make rational decisions, and you look at the charts, it's simply a reflection of natural, just normal, rational human behavior. And the computers obviously are going to be rational. You know, they, most of the trading that takes place is done by computers, at least in the United States, and they obviously are behaving logically. So, and so the patterns that we see right now are re a reflection of computer trading for the most part, and you have to assume that it's all logical. And yes, sometimes it can uh, result in big moves, sometimes it can result in sideways moves, but it's all a reflection of rational human behavior. It's just, it's just a mapping out of how transactions take place. And it's not going to change over time unless we become 
a new species, you know, it's, it's in our genes. That's, it's always going to be that way. I've looked at charts from over 100 years ago, and if I take the time and price off the charts, they look the same as charts today. And I look at charts, even today, I look at charts from all kinds of markets. And if you take the time and price off the chart, you cannot tell if you're trading gold, if you're trading stocks, if you're trading bonds, you, you cannot tell. So I trade all markets and all time frames the same. And then I think computers do that as well. So there are people that say that every market has its like specificities of like some markets range, range more, some markets trend more. So you would be saying the opposite of that they all look the same. Right. There, there are certain characteristics, especially in the smaller markets. If you have a small market and it's traded by a, a small group of people, it can have some, person, some, some subtle differences. Also, there are other things that are inherently different. For example, if you trade bond futures versus trading the e-mini versus uh, trading Citibank, the dollar value per tick is different. The, the amount of margin that you need is different. Some things are going to be more volatile than other things. You know, if you're trading a utility stock as a day trader, it could be very boring. It's not going to move much. If you're trading a cheap stock, a stock that's trading at $2, it's not going to move much. On a percentage basis, it'll move. But in terms of absolute number of ticks up and down, it's, uh, it's not going to move much. But you know, all that aside, if you just look at the charts and get rid of price and time, I, and I've looked at probably more charts than anybody on the planet over the past 30 plus years, I, I honestly believe it's impossible to tell one chart from another. So I really hope you're enjoying this podcast so far. I just wanted to jump in kind of midway to give you a quick announcement, something that you don't want to miss for sure. Recently, I've been starting a new series on my YouTube channel. You can find it on YouTube by tapping the Zark Trade. Anyway, that new series is a series I've done by partnering with the broker Pepperstone. And I was able to bring in some guests that either work there, people that have a lot of experience, or outside traders to kind of teach you things that you need to know to be able to reach your goals in trading. And this series just launched this past week with the very first episode in which we discuss how to trade like banks. And I want to make sure you guys go watch it after this podcast. Take some time to maybe make a note now to watch it later or just go watch it right after this podcast to be able to get these lessons and these tips. And this first episode features Chris Weston, which I had on the channel before and on the podcast as well. Chris is a really good person to teach about institutional trading in the markets. So hopefully that will be of value to you. But for now, we'll get back to the podcast. So you're well known for price action. And I think a lot of people these days are looking at trading price action. Where do you think that interest for price action comes from in traders we see these days? I think, I think through natural selection, people are competitive and they're hunters, right? People who didn't hunt died off and their genes disappeared. People who are not competitive lost every battle their genes disappeared. You know, so I think through natural selection, we're all competitive and we're also, you know, we're also we like to hunt. And I, for example, I like to, I'm a fly fisherman and I like to go fly fishing. And part of the fun of fly fishing is reading the water. So there's price action in the water. If you look at a stream and you don't think about it, it just kind of looks just water running down the rocks. But there really are a lot of subtle patterns that take place in the stream 
And if you, if you can read the patterns, you know where the fish are. And trading is the same way. That's one of the things you like about trading. You know, if, you're not, if, you're, if you have no experience looking at charts and you look at charts, it just looks like a bunch of lines. But if you have a lot of experience, you know where you can make money. You can see certain patterns that have a high percent, high probability of doing something. If you see a pattern, a pattern unfolding, you have, and you and you know how to trade, you have a high probability of making money. And also, um, the the reward can be quite a bit bigger than the risk. And it just takes time to look at the charts, try to be objective, and then you have to have. Um, the ability to place the trade and you have to have patience one of my favorite quotes you know pa patience is really important wait waiting for a pattern to unfold uh, one of my favorite quotes is about patience is from warren buffett for me he's i admire him more than probably any other trader and he talks about patience saying that you can't make a baby in one getting nine women pregnant and trading is the same way. You have to be patient. That's good. I like that. You mentioned about being objective, and I think that's something people kind of lack, and it's something that's tough to develop. So, how did you yourself become objective in the market to kind of look at the chart and say that's how it is? It's really, it's really an interesting question that you're asking. And once you learn how to ride a bicycle, it's hard to remember what it's like not how to, to not yeah. know how to ride a bicycle, right? And, you know, you speak English, it's your second language, and it's hard to imagine, you know, what it was like before you could speak English. And what I do remember is for the first five years or so, even for the first 10 years, I would have tremendous stress trading. I would always felt like I was ripped up inside, that I was fighting the market and the market was constantly beating me. And it was just a miserable, miserable feeling. And at some point, it just started to melt away. And now, you know, I'm really at peace in the market. You know, every day, um, I, I, I'm just, it's, it, I like it. It's really enjoyable because I sit there and everything that's happening, I look at it and say, oh, I see what the bulls are doing. I understand what the bears are doing. You know, I, you know they're, they're balanced here. Oh, they're not balanced here. You know, I, by, by being able to read what the, what the market is doing and what the forces are and who's winning, um, it just makes it, it makes it, first of all, fun, because I feel like I'm seeing stuff that a whole bunch of people are, are not seeing. So it's fun to see. It's fun to see something that nobody else is seeing or not many people are seeing. And it's also fun to watch it unfold. You know, you, you see something happening and you know what the possible outcomes are. And you know certain outcomes are more likely than others. And you just see it start to unfold. And it's just, it's just really satisfying. It's, it's fun. Nice. Like Did you have any, man? Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's like doing anything well. It's just, it may, you know, if you, you know, if you play soccer and you play it well, it's satisfying. You know, if you play tennis and you play it well, it's just satisfying. I play tennis and I like going out there and I like trying to get better and better. And it's, it's fun. I, I, I like, I like it when I do things well. Mm -hmm. I guess the question there is, how do you make sure to keep going and do things when it's not fun, when you don't get results in, in trading? Well, at this point in life, I can't remember the last time I felt that way. <laughs> yeah. No, but I do know 30 years ago, I felt that way all the time. You know, you lose and then you do something stupid and you lose more and you do something stupid and you lose more. 
And now, if I have a bad trade, I, I say to myself, now, in general, um, everything is going to be between 40 and 60%. You know, the best setups, you win 60%. The worst setups, you, you win 40%. And that's pretty much true any time, all day long, at any instant, all day long. Every trade that every trade that you do, there's somebody taking the opposite side, and it's always you should always assume it's an institution. So if you're buying, you have to assume that an institution is structuring a trade exactly opposite of your direction, and mathematically it makes sense, right? So if you're buying, an institution is selling to you, and they're selling to you because they have determined that they can make money by doing it, and at the same time you and other institutions are buying because you have figured out a way that you can make money doing it. So, you know, I just, in my mind, I just, I just assume that, you know, sometimes things are 50, 50, sometimes things are 40, 60, but they're never much worse than that. And, you know, a lot of times, maybe 10% of the time, the probability of the market doing something is 70 or 80%. So about 10%, five to 10% of the time on any chart, the market is quickly going up or quickly going down. If you look at any chart, you'll notice that there's one section of the chart where it's quickly, it's almost vertical. It's very brief, the market. And during those times, the probability of making money if you trade in the right direction can be 70 or 80%. But going back to what you're asking about, um, if I mess up, I, I know the math and I'm comfortable with the math. And it took a long time to get comfortable with the math. So I know that if I just keep doing what's right, I'm going to win. So I don't worry if I lose. I don't worry if I lose twice in a row. You know, I, I'm just confident that if I just keep doing what I'm doing and I don't get emotional and it's, it's, the math is on my side. It's like a casino, except that instead of me being the customer, I'm the house. They know that every now and then someone's going to win $10,000 in a slot machine and they don't care because they know that the, the, the way the game is structured, they have a, the math favors them. Probability is going to favor them. So they can, they can win 51, 52, 53% of the time, but if they do it often enough, over time, they're, they're, they're going to grind out a consistent profit. And that's the same with traders. You know, as long as you're doing, structuring things correctly, and you just keep executing properly, you know, you can do very well. You know, I talked about casinos, how um, they win uh, 51, 53% of the time. As a trader, you only have to, remember I said most of the time the markets are around 50-50. You can buy or sell at any moment and make money if you structure the trade correctly. One of the keys is risk reward. And if you, as a routine, try to take a profit that is two or three times your risk, right? So let's say you're risking Let's say you enter a trade and you know where your stop has to be. All right, let's say you buy and, you, and the market's starting to turn up. You put your stop below that low. And if you go for a profit target that is two to three times your risk, even if you lose 60% of the time, at worst, you're going to be break even. And at best, you'll consistently make money. So, you know, that, prop, that probability, back, I said the probability of pretty much anything you do buy or sell at any time is between 40 and 60%. If you work out the math, as long as you go for a reward that's twice your risk, 
mathematically, you're going to make money. So if you just consistently do that and don't get impatient and, oh, I have, I've been losing, I, I got a small profit, I'm just going to take it. No, no, you got to hold, you know, because you need that 40% of the time when you make two to three times your risk, you need that to erase um, the, the losses. So I think that simple math is one of the keys to making money. You know, patiently find a setup, place your stop, and hold for a reward that is two to three times your risk and be confident that 40% of the time or more, you're going to achieve your goal and you'll be a consistently profitable trader. I sometimes talk about the Walmart trade, okay? Uh, and what I mean by that is, if you find yourself exiting trades too soon, you know, you're so desperate, you lost the last three or four trades, and you're so desperate to make money, one thing you can do is take the Walmart trade. You see the setup, take the buy, you put the stop in, you uh, place a profit-taking limit order two to three times bigger than your risk, and go to Walmart and come back in a couple hours. And then you'll be surprised to find out that you're becoming a successful trader because you won't be micromanaging your trades. You just let, you know, let your trades work and don't micromanage them. Trust the math. Mm -hmm. That's a good lesson. And there's been so many traders over the years that told me that if they had just followed their system all the time, they would be better off than micromanaging or tweaking trades all the time. They want to tweak trades and they want to manage to get, try to get more profit, but they're always, most of the time, better off not doing anything. Right. You know, most traders, I would say 95% of traders are much better off going for reward at least twice their risk. And that means just patiently sitting there. And sometimes the trader will go a little your way, a little against you, a little, for, you know, take time. But if you patiently just rely on your stop and have a profit, taking limit order, and if you're watching, as long as the trade looks reasonably good, you, you just sit there and just patiently wait. That's that thing I, I was talking about, about Warren Buffett. You, know, you can't make a baby in one month by getting nine women pregnant. You've got you to be patient. As a scalper, I scalp a lot. I also swing trade a lot. But as a scalper, it's an entirely different game. You can only scalp if, well, the three variables risk, reward, and probability. And as a scalper, automatically know you're going for reward, right? So if you're going for a small reward, a lot of times, most of the time, the risk is greater than the reward. That tells you that your risk-reward ratio is terrible. And how can you make money if you have a terrible risk-reward ratio? Probability. You have to be able to find high-probability trades, which most people cannot do. So most people should not be scalpers, but if you can, if you can find high probability trades, you can do you can do very well as a scalper. There are also tricks you can do as a scalper to increase your probability. One is scaling in. So if you buy it and it goes a little bit against you, and your premise is still valid, and emotionally you can handle it, and your account size is big enough, you can buy more. And yes, it's increasing your risk, but it's also increasing the probability that you'll make money. Do you prefer one trading style over the other? Like, do you prefer scalping to trading higher time frame? Uh, I do both. And for example, I like to hold option positions in uh, stocks or in stock index, uh, stock or uh, ETFs like the Spider SPY. 
and you know, I'm currently holding several option positions. Uh, and when I do that, I'm swing trading for the most part. Sometimes I'll rarely day trade options. You know, for example, if the market is just totally crashing down, but I think it's going to have a climactic reversal on, on a five-minute chart, when that happens, it only happens a few times a year. A lot of times I'll buy calls, thinking that worst case is the calls will become zero, but at least I know that I, I cannot lose too, too much. And if the market does what I think it will do and reverse up sharply, I can make a lot of money. So the risk reward is very good and the probability is very good. But for the most part, when I'm trading options, I'm using daily charts or weekly charts, and I'm just looking for just looking for patterns. So if the market is strongly breaking out to the upside, I'll buy calls or a call spread. If I think the market is in a bear trend and it's pulling back, bouncing, I'll buy puts or a put spread. If I think it's about to reverse, you know, for example, if there's a wedge bottom and it's at a support level, I'll buy calls or a call spread. Mm -hmm. And so that is most of my swing training on the daily and weekly charts. And the scalping is different or similar strategies and, and systems? I use, the same, I use the same patterns. What's different is you can only scalp if you can structure a high probability trade. And that's why most people cannot scalp. They cannot structure high probability trades or they, cannot, they can't process the information fast enough to um, determine that a trade is high probability. On the, I trade the E-mini, S&P 500, stock index futures all day long. And in the day session, there are 81 bars every day. And on an average day, probably see 40 or 50 reasonable scalps. So pretty much on every other bar, there is, I don't take all those trades. When I was your age, I took a lot of trades, but no, now, now where I am in life, I don't take that many. I probably take 10 to 20 trades a day. But there, there is an incredible amount of opportunity on every chart if you know how to read the charts. It's really, it's amazing. It's amazing how, how much the market is telling us, but you have to know how to read the charts. Yeah. And that's a question that I get a lot from different people is how do you, like, what's the best way to learn price action these days? Is it through books or you might have an opinion different than this? Well, I, I put a whole bunch of, I, as you know, I have videos that have a whole bunch of information about how to read price action charts. I think the simplest thing to do if a person is starting out is to pick a pattern and then only look for trades based on that pattern. And a good start is a wedge. And there are two ways to use a, a wedge pattern. One is as a reversal. For example, if a stock is selling off and is forming a wedge bottom over the past two or three months, for example, uh, the euro versus um, the dollar forex market on the daily chart over the past um, month, it formed a wedge bottom. So it's high probability, plus had a good buy signal bar, and we ended up rallying for, uh, for a few weeks back in October. So that, that's a good starting place. You know, just look for wedges and be open to the possibility that they come in many different shapes and sizes, and they do. If you look at a chart, a one-minute chart, there are wedges. If you look at a one-second chart, where every bar on the chart is just one second, you will see wedges. They're too fat, they happen too fast for you to trade them, but they're there. 
they're there on all time frames. The bond market, a monthly chart of the U.S. Treasury bond market, uh, has been forming a massive nested wedge top, a big wedge top, and within it there are smaller wedge tops over the past several years. And the result will be interest rates will be going up for the next 20 years. The bond market wedge top, the rally has gone on for 30 years, and this wedge top, even though it might take a few years for the bond market to finally start to turn down, I don't think there's much more money to be made buying bonds. I think interest rates are going to be uh, going up. That's, that's what the chart, monthly chart is saying. So I would pick a pattern, wait for a reasonable buy signal bar if you're looking to buy a wedge bottom. And I would not be too quick to buy. If you see a bunch of bear bars and then one little bull bar, that's not the time to buy. You want to see several bull bars and big bull bars and big bull bars closing on their highs. You want to see consistent buying and strong buying, traders buying into the close of the bar. And that's true for any time frame, a five-minute chart, a weekly chart, monthly chart. So wedge reversals are a good starting place. And then another choice is wedge flags. So for example, if the market has rallied strongly and then it starts to go against you, starts to sell off, and the rally was so strong, you think the market will probably test back up to the high again. A lot of times you'll see a wedge sell-off. It'll look like a bear trend, but it'll only correct about half of the rally, and it will not fall as steeply as the rally rose, and you look for a wedge reversal. So it's the same kind of wedge that you would get at a bottom, but because it's a pullback and a bull trend, I would call it a wedge bull flag. And that's another pattern that I think if a trader is starting out, those would be the two patterns that I would look for. Wedge reversals, trends ending, and then um, pullbacks, pullbacks that look like wedges. And then eventually, how would you recommend people to go into different patterns? Should they kind of research them themselves or maybe take a course and learn about them and then apply them? Or how should they add to their strategies? Well, I would, you know, as I said, you know, my videos have a whole bunch of stuff on how to trade. And if you run out of ideas, you have to come up with some of the source, like my videos or my books or somebody else's videos or somebody else's books, but you need some of the source. A good starting place, though, is, as I said, just looking at charts and getting a feel for them. One of the nice things, there are two good things out there right now for traders starting out. One is forex markets, because you can trade very small positions. And um, if you're not scalping, you know, if you're not going for 10 pips, if you're going for 100 pips or two or 300 pips, looking for a trade to unfold over the course of several weeks, then the bid-ask spread is not, it's not an issue. So even if you get a wide bid-ask spread, three pips, four pips, it's really not a problem if you're trying to make, you know, 150 pips. And you can take a very small position. I know you can argue, Al, if I uh, only trade 10,000 units, I, I can't make much money. That's right. You cannot make much money, but you cannot lose much money. And when you're starting out, you're going to lose. And Forex markets allow you to get experienced trading, but not lose much money. And then on the other side, stock index futures, they started trading micro e-mini contracts, which are one-tenth the size of an e-mini contract. And that's a really good thing for people who want to trade stocks or stock index futures instead of Forex markets. Again, same thing. You can say, well, Al, if I'm, 
Um, if the market moves two points, I make $10. And after commissions, I make you know $9. I can't make a living out doing that. That, that. That's absolutely correct. You cannot. But what you can do is get experience. And then instead of trading one micro e-mini contract, you trade two, five, or 10. Once you start trading 10, then you trade a regular e-mini contract. And then two, three, or four of those. And if you're consistently good and you're trading two, three, or four, Four regular mini contracts, um, you can do pretty well. You know, if you make four points a day, which is a modest amount with a regular mini contract, that's two hundred dollars. If you're trading four of those contracts, then um, that's eight hundred dollars a day, and all of a sudden you're making one hundred sixty, hundred eighty thousand dollars a year, which is you know that's pretty good money. And if you get to ten or twenty contracts, it becomes um, you know serious money. I think it's all about going through this incrementally and step by step, not rushing like from the start and going all in with trading. You got to go step by step. Absolutely, yeah. I would. That's what I'm saying. I would. I would start with one pattern. Wedges are good, and when I say wedges, there there are so many types of wedges, and most people don't even. They're, they're looking at charts. There there are wedges all over the place, and unless you know what to look for, you don't see them. It's like fly fishing. You know, there are trout all over the place, and unless you know where to look, you know, you're not going to catch them. So you have to be very flexible about how you define a wedge, and you have to be very good at spotting them, especially as they're unfolding, so you can be ready to enter a trade. But the, I think wedges, are, wedges wedge, wedge reversals and wedge flags, bull flags, bear flags, that's probably, probably my single favorite pattern. But as I said, there, there is an incredible variety of wedges, and the more the more variations you know, the more opportunities you'll have. Mm -hmm. And we'll put the link below for your course. People check it out if they want to follow your videos and your course, because they have a lot of resources, a lot of different patterns to uh, to learn. So that that's mm -hmm. really good. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's my it's the Brooks Trading Course website. So BrooksTradingCourse.com. And there's a lot of free stuff there as well to give people an idea of what, what I do. Awesome. Did you have any mentor in the past that had a really big effect or impact on your trading performance or trading in general? That is an interesting wording to your question. And yeah, the answer is yes. Back in 1987, um, the world was filled with liars and thieves. And there's, there, there are still liars and thieves out there but there are not as many. And I hired a guy who advertised a lot. I, I flew him out to my house and I paid him $3,000 to be with me, I think for two days. I paid for his hotel, I paid for his airfare. So it probably cost me $5,000. And when he was there, uh, he was supposed to teach me how to trade. And it became clear that he was not a trader. And I started asking him, well, you know, I started asking him a lot of questions about his trading. And he said, oh, no, I, I no longer trade. I taught people how to trade for me, and they trade my accounts for me. And I'm absolutely convinced the guy was just an absolute fraud. He had very good-looking material. Back then, it was not the Internet. It was um, you know, magazine stuff and, uh, and conferences. He had very good stuff, but he was a total fraud. And what I learned was you know, everybody wants a God to protect them, a 
profit. You know, you know, please, you know, help me, you know, help me, you know, take care of me, make money for me. But trading, it's eat what you eat, what you kill, right? If you can't go out there and hunt, you're not gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna start. And relying on someone to tell you to buy this or sell that on television, every now and then they'll put some expert on saying, "Oh, this is a good buyer, that's a good stuff." That's total nonsense. You know, you should turn the television off and. and, and you know, it, buying and selling, that's the easy part. I've said before, you can buy or sell anything at any time and make money if you structure the trade correctly, correctly you manage it. So some clown on television telling you, oh, gold's a good buy right now. It's, don't do it because he's not telling you how long to hold it. He's not telling you when to get out. He's not telling you how much profit you should be going for. He's not telling, he's not telling you any of that. You have to be able to do that all entirely by yourself. So what I learned was at the time when I hired this guy, I told you it cost me $5,000, I realized that I was basically hoping to get someone to hold my hand and you know, protect me, protect me from the dangers of losing money. And what I, that was $5,000 well spent because I realized that I have to do it on my own. I gotta figure it out on my own. And that's true for everybody. They have to learn how to do it on their own, entirely on their own. And so now I'm in my little office and I just sit here quietly all day. I talk in my chat room all day, which I enjoy doing. But you know, I don't, I don't, I don't engage in conversations with anyone. And I just sit here quietly watching the patterns unfold and I just enjoy watching them. You know, some people like listening to music. I, I like listening to the market tell me what it's about to do. And I just peacefully sit here. Then I, I, I also spent a bunch of money back in 87, maybe 87, 88, somewhere around there, to spend a week with a very well-known trader, working with him for a week. And I was not, how should I say this? What he was doing, I did not like. He was uh, doing a style of trading that I did not like using. He wasn't using traditional charting. He was using market profile. and. To me, it didn't make sense. It, it, what he was doing, he was hiding a lot of information by not using standard bar charts or candlestick charts. So I was with him for a week, and I felt like, again, it was not of any benefit to me. So I think hiring people is not a good idea. And as far as mentors go, you know, my favorite mentor is um, Warren Buffett. And I already told you one of his comments. You know, he, he made several. He's made. He, said several, I think, really important things that have helped me. Uh, one is uh, you only have to do a few things right in life, as long as you don't do too many things wrong, right? And then uh, be fearful when others are greedy, and be greedy when others are fearful. He's a value trader. He likes to buy things that are cheap. So he likes to buy very good quality companies that are on sale. So if the market is collapsing, He's looking to buy Apple. He's looking to buy Amazon, or he's looking to buy J.P. Morgan. And what else? Another comment that I thought, one thing he said, I always thought it was interesting, is he said, I always knew I was going to be rich. I never doubted it even for a second. So he said, be confident. And I think, I think that's really true. I always knew that I was going to be rich. I didn't know how I'd get there, but I always knew I was going to do pretty well. Right? And I, I think that's, it's, a, it's a big advantage if you believe in yourself and 
part of believing in yourself is going back to what I was saying. You have to do it yourself. You have to do the, You have to make the decisions yourself. You have to learn how to trade yourself. And at some point, you have to get. You have to trust what you're doing, and you have to be comfortable. And you have to trust the math. You have to trust your ability to spot patterns, your ability to place the trades, your ability to decide that the trade is going bad and get out before your stop gets hit. One other important point is um, Charlie Munger. I don't know if you know Charlie Munger. He's Warren Buffett's partner. And uh, one of his quotes that I get a kick out of, one of my daughters works for his law firm, by the way, in San Francisco, Munger Tolls. He, he said, I'd rather hire someone with, with I would rather hire someone with an IQ of 130 who thinks his IQ is 120 than someone with an IQ of 150 who thinks it's 170. Because he says he likes he likes to be with people who find it easy to uh, see when they're wrong. So I think that's a good point. And um, one other, one other thing, um, one other point is an obvious one. It takes 20 years to build a good reputation and five minutes to ruin it. So I think it's important always to be honest and, and to be a good person. But so in terms of mentors, you know, for me, my mentor is Warren Buffett. You know, he's, he has said a lot of things over the years that resonate with me. They, they, they ring true and uh, they're consistent with how I, I want to live my life. Another thing is always try to associate with people who are smarter than you and better than you. You know, there's a saying that I used to tell my kids, you can't soar like an eagle if you're hanging out with turkeys. You know, find the good people and spend time with them. Mm-hmm. I find this interesting. I feel like for me, it's been the same or similar with mentors where you get some really good mentors and some really not too good mentors that are not that good and that you don't really relate to. So it's kind of a, a win sometimes and lose sometimes with mentors, at least for me and for you, apparently. So I'm kind of uh, curious about that. It's kind of interesting to, to hear. Yeah, yeah. And even if, even if you find someone who's very, really successful and you think they're honest, what, if you to do what they're doing, it has to suit your personality. Yeah. And I think that's very, very important. You know, as you know, I scalp a lot. I do swing trade and I do trade on the daily and weekly charts, but I'm a scalper. And you know, most of my trades are scalps. Because if you're a scalper, you take lots of little trades. But I, in addition to the swing trades, but most of what I'm doing every day is I'm scalping, you know, buying and selling, buying and selling, right? And if someone is not comfortable with that, um, they would be very unhappy listening to me talk about trading during the day because it has to be com- compatible with your personality. I said that when I, started our trading 30 years ago, so many days I would just feel so upset. And sometimes I would feel upset for days afterwards, after I do something really stupid and lost a lot of money, I would feel bad for days afterwards. And you cannot drive looking in the rearview mirror. You have to be constantly looking forward. And you, you have to, you can't be thinking about the last trade. You got to be thinking about the next trade. And if you, if, you, if you develop that ability, which you have to do, eventually you'll find out that trading becomes fun. You have to trade to make money, but it also has to be fun. And I could make a lot more money trading much more aggressively, greatly increasing my position size, but I'd be stressed out and I'd be miserable. And that, you can't do that. You know, if, you, if you're going to be doing this as a career, 
you have to you have to like what you're doing, and you have to be happy. So it's more than just making money. You have to be making money, and you have to be happy, and therefore you have to do something that is compatible with your personality. So it's really you know you have to be at peace with what you're doing. And you have to enjoy what you because life is long. You're you're a young guy, and you got to love what you do. That's a good point. What does a day in your life look like with uh, trading included? Well, everybody gets routines. And I get up, California time, I get up about five o'clock and I write a morning blog. And um, it's really one of the things that I, I write an evening blog, I write a weekend blog. One of the things that fascinates me about it is that I can sit down there and just write a thousand words uh, pretty quickly, you know, in an hour, just typing furiously. And because I see so much, and so it's fun to it's fun to have it organized in my mind and to put it on the computer. And I know at some point I'm not going to be able to think that quickly and to think about that many things at one time. But you know, it's like a bird flying. You know, it just feels good to be able to do it. You know, it, you know I can run. I run. I like to run. I like to play tennis. I like to move through space. And there are things in life that. I, I'm able to do, and as long as I'm able to do them, I want to do them. It makes me feel alive. So for me, part of what I want to do is I'm trying to put out a body of work out there that will help people going forward. So I want to have a sense of a legacy, and there's still parts of it that I'm hoping to do before I finally finish. But for me, that that's my goal. I want to feel like I want to feel. I want to feel relevant. I want to feel like I'm, I'm using my time well, and that I'm trying to, trying to help other people in addition to paying the bills. So, you know, but I want to feel like that I'm doing something useful. So I get up in the morning, I write my blog, and then I talk all day during my chat room. And it's fun to, to spot patterns and point them out to the people listening to me. And I hope that they can see them as well. And I hope they can learn to start seeing them more and more on their own. I'm in my office from five o'clock California time. The market closes at one fifteen, and then I spend about an hour, you know, doing some more writing. Um, I go to the gym or I play tennis. I do something every day, and then my wife gets back from work, and uh, we go to dinner, and and then whatever, go to a movie, watch a television show. We travel a lot, take a lot of weekend trips. But over you know, my kids, I wish they would call more. If they're watching this video, call dad more. That is one of the interesting things. You know, my, I have three daughters and two stepsons. My kids have graduated from Berkeley, UCLA, USC, Harvard, Stanford, and Yale. So they all went to really, really good schools. But the downside of it is they have these high-powered jobs that make them work crazy hours. And they don't see dad very much, which I, I'm, I'm happy that they're doing really well. But, you know, I really would like to see them more or hear from them more. But, you know, I view what I do trying to teach as kind of a substitute for that. So, you know, I taught my kids a lot. I spent a lot of time with them teaching them how to read, how to think, how to write. And, you know, they ended up using it, having very successful careers. And now I'm trying to do that same kind of thing with my websites, trying to help people become as successful as they possibly can be.
and I loved it with my kids. And uh, I, I like it now. It was a lot more fun with my kids, but it's still it's still pretty good fun right now. Awesome, great uh, routine, great day for sure. So on that note, where can people find you? They'll connect with you or reach out after this interview. The easiest way is to just go to Brooks Trading Course button.com so my name brooks b-r-o-o-k-s tradingcourse.com and that's my primary website i have another website for the chat room but if you go to that brookstradingcourse.com website you'll uh, find everything that you need to know you find sample videos sample charts a lot of articles on trading you find connections to the chat room and to the course if you want to buy the course but that, that's, a, that's a good starting point. Awesome. I will make sure to link all of this in the show note and in the video description for this interview. And I have one last question. Do you have like a piece of advice for people that you want to kind of just leave people with after this interview is finished? Like what, what would you have to apply or or you do in the coming month to be, to be successful in trading? Well, for me, I, th I think the most important thing is what I said. You have to be doing it for both. You have to be happy. You have, you have to get to a place where you're very peaceful trading. You have to find a style of trading that's compatible with your personality and you have to be peaceful and you have to be happy. And one of the keys to that is you have to be trading the I don't care size. You have to be trading small enough so that you really don't care too much about losing. If you have a lot of money, small could be still pretty big. But if you're a person starting out with a $5,000 account, I would trade either Forex markets or the micro e-mini contracts for many months until you become consistently good as a trader. So trade small, trade very, very small, so that you're not getting stressed out and thinking about money. You wanna focus on what the market is telling you, not on the, mo the money. Thanks so much, Al, it's been such a pleasure to have you here again, and uh, we'll catch you guys pretty soon. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you, Aitian.